You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. The highly anticipated and much overdue installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert at 24-7 Sports, TheBigSpur.com, among other outlets. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network, among other outlets. And together we do this each and every week, although we are guilty of being uh, a little overdue with the holidays. It actually worked out pretty well, JC, because a lot happened in that time frame that I, I would have felt like if we did it a few days earlier, and then sure enough, something else would have happened. Like, it, we didn't get a chance to talk about that. Well, we've got a chance to talk about everything. Okay, we're going to do quick hitters on every bowl game. We're going to go back in time on the, on the semifinals. One grossly entertaining, one grossly not. Uh, one just flat out gross, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, some news and notes that have been going on on the coaching front, on some other fronts. And even today, as we record this, uh, on a Monday, Mississippi State appears to have zeroed in on its top candidate or two candidates, and Tua finally made his decision. So we'll get to all that and more. We know you've been craving it. We know you've been jonesing for it. And quite frankly, we've been doing the same to actually bring it to you, and now we can. JC, how are you? Doing well. Had a nice restful holiday, uh, holiday season, Christmas. And, uh, you know, my birthday's the day after Christmas. So I always get like the triple whammy holiday and, uh, tend to just kind of veg out and eat bad food and have a few uh, cocktails with my friends during this time of year. Uh, But certainly uh, watched a lot of football and have been following everything uh, and kind of excited to talk about it and get back in the saddle today uh, here in early January. Yeah, I say this every year, and it's the same, like, group of national uh, radio guys that they really think they're, you know, hot take. There's too many bowl games. Hot take, hot take. I I think we're – I hate all these bowl games. Okay, I got it. But, you know, my solution has always been then don't watch. Like no, nobody's asking you. You don't have to watch. They're, they're obviously moneymakers, right? They're made for TV events. Uh, technically speaking, it doesn't matter how many empty seats there are, although I thought it was disturbing when a, a bowl game like the Sugar Bowl with a pretty premier matchup has rows and sections of empty seats. I thought Georgia fans made a little bit of a statement with that, quite frankly. We'll get into that later. Um, but it is what it is. And so for me, 
I'm like you. I mean, I'm, I'm out of town for the holidays in between doing, uh, basketball broadcasts. Uh, I am, I'm doing the holiday thing and guess what? My culture is there's always a TV on in the background, especially if I have a say in it. Uh, if you go to any restaurant or sports bar, obviously they're all on ESPN or, uh, whatever the, the, the game of the time, what channel it's on. Um, and if I'm at home and I wound up doing a lot of vegging, I, for one thing, I caught a cold. I'm still getting over it, so I apologize for my sound. Um, I, I what am I what am I going to watch on a Tuesday night at eight o'clock? If if I have my choice between a bowl game, even if it is between two rather mediocre teams, what else, am I going to watch? Big Brother? Like, well, what what the heck else is on? So I've never complained about it. I I look at it. I've said many times, it's an extension of the regular season. It's no longer a reward for being great. And if you go back in the history, and I forgot about this, I spent uh, an entire day sick in bed watching the um, the series that ESPN put together, ESPN 150, and it's it's extremely well done. Right. Uh, the history of college football. Now, I don't need a 30 something year old giving me their um, their overall analysis on, on what the greatest moments in the history of the game are. But what <laughs> I I really don't. Um, but what I do appreciate is the footage and the history. Uh, the SEC network runs their own kind of history of the SEC, which is also fascinating. I know so much of our our audience on this podcast happened to be. In the southeast, not all. I mean, we get people from all over, and we love people from all over, and we don't just talk SEC on here. But I thought that was fascinating. I didn't think I was going to learn much. I pride myself in knowing a lot about the history of this sport because even when I was a very young age, I was kind of a football geek, if you will. I wanted to know all the history. I couldn't get enough input. Um, but if you go back in time, and they alluded to this on one of the many hours of, of footage, Bowl games initially were set up as exhibition games to promote a particular city and travel destination for the holidays. They were never designed to true to determine a true national champion. That's why the sport was in disarray. Uh, that's why they called it the mythical national championship for years, because it's really not what bowl games were designed to do. It was just something like, okay, how do we improve tourism in Miami? In late December, well, let's get two college football teams to go play. We can't, we can't get pro teams to do that. They actually have a playoff. And let's get their fan bases to come down and enjoy some sun and fun. Mm-hmm. That's what they were designed to do. They weren't, they weren't this just reward for outstanding play. So I look at it now, like not much has changed in that regard. Like If you're not determining the national championship, right, what are these bowl games really for? It's it it's it is kind of an exhibition. I don't think they're meaningless. Not for the teams that play. Not for the schools' fan bases. We also know they're not the most important thing in the world. They have lost some relevance. You could you could argue, particularly when, when players are sitting out. Uh, but I say all that to say this, and I apologize for the long-winded rant, JC. I'm just saying, don't waste your time getting so angry that there's so many bowl games. If it ticks you off that much, ignore it and wait for the big ones. And for the most part. The big ones did not disappoint. I thought the big bowl games, again, with the exception of Oklahoma being taken to the woodshed again, uh, I thought for the most part the big games were rather entertaining. Yeah, I thought so too. Some of the smaller games were, were good too. I, I think here's 
Here, here's my contention with the bowls. I, I don't, I, I don't buy the uh, too many bowls and the, the, there because there is an anti-bowl sentiment out there with some of the media, and I hate that um, because I think these same people at times hate a lot of what we all love about college football. It's quirkiness, it's traditions, you know, the things that make the sport great. Um, you know, you can't turn it into a pro league and. You know, it's a different sport than basketball, so you're not going to have a 64-team tournament, you know, no matter how much Mike Leach, you know, puts into it. Um, or Jim Harbaugh, who didn't have a 64-team bracket. His bracket looked like something – I think it was like an odd number of teams. It was weird. But, um, you know, I, I, I like the Bulls. I, I think it's kind of neat to, like you said, to have a travel destination. You know, uh, tell, tell the kids from University of North Carolina, Charlotte – uh, who went to the first bowl in the history of their program. Now, they got waxed by Buffalo, uh, but they got to go hang out in the Bahamas, you know, for a few days and play a football game. You know, mm-hmm. uh, tell the guys at Liberty and Hugh Freeze that won the Cure Bowl down in Orlando that it doesn't matter. You know, tell FAU, who was on their home field, and waxed SMU that it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters to the kids and to the players. And, and quite frankly, you know, I enjoy watching college football. My contention with it, though, is that the group of five dominates, dominates the programming the first half of the month. And you, you, you get the Las Vegas Bowl a little early. with, And I, I, I don't have a problem with group of five teams going to bowls. Uh, I think, though, that what that does, because you have, you know, a group of five teams going to the Bahamas and Hawaii and, and all these places, uh, and then you roll around and, you know, Tennessee's in the Gator Bowl yet again. Now, they brought a lot of fans. The Vols really, Vols fans, you did exactly what you're supposed to do. You showed up in Jacksonville and droves. Um, Auburn's in the Outback Bowl again. You know, the, the Citrus Bowl was was one of the most watched bowl games since 2010 <laughs> because you had Michigan and Bama. But, you know, Florida going to the Orange Bowl, I mean, how many times? I mean, it just – I think that, uh, you know, Arizona State, how many times are they going to play in the Sun Bowl? Right. I think that we need more variety with it. I think they need to loosen up some of these bowl tie-ins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, you know, some of them – because we, if you think about it, if you go back to the Bowl Alliance, Mike, I'm going to take you way back, Not even before the BCS, the Bowl Alliance. This, mm-hmm. was, this was when the Rose Bowl still had their thing. You know, you had these tie-ins like with the SEC and the Citrus Bowl or the SEC and the Outback Bowl or the Gator Bowl uh, or the Music City Bowl or or whatever. So you're going on about 25, 30 years of of these same matchups in these minor bowls. And it just gets old. It just gets old as a fan. If you're a fan of a middling SEC team, ah, well – Ah, we're going to Nashville again. Oh, okay. Well, blah. You know, uh, I, I like the fact that they added another. They added a second Tampa Bowl game to the docket in the SEC, and they added a rotating deal with the Las Vegas Bowl, to where some lucky fan base every couple of years in the SEC is going to get to go to Vegas. Mm-hmm. I think we need more of that. We need to loosen the tie-ins. Maybe have something where you go with a lottery system. I don't know. I just think that it, it's really tough. You know, if you're the third place team in the Big Ten West to have to go out to the San Francisco Red Box Bowl uh, every year and uh, it, there's nothing new about that I, I think right. that, I think it gets more exciting 
Uh, and, and this is to your point with the Sugar Bowl. You know, you mentioned the empty seats in the Sugar Bowl. Well, Georgia just went to the Sugar Bowl last year. You know, they just went. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and and if they were going to go to New, if those fans were going to go to New Orleans this year, it was going to be for the game next week. You know right. what I'm saying? And, and so I think there needs to be more attention paid to how we match up. And I think, quite frankly, it would make better programming if you loosened it up and you sit. Look, you're a power five football team that goes six and six. You probably deserve to play in a bowl game that's before Christmas, uh, you know, in, in Montgomery or, or the Bahamas or wherever, you know. And I think your fans would get behind it a little more because it's, it's a different destination and it would be more unique programming. I mean, you could match up like, like SMU played FAU in the Boca Bowl. FAU didn't even have to travel. Well, what if you'd have sent Tennessee to the Boca Bowl to play FAU or to play SMU? Tennessee and SMU and Boca, they just still falls with it, still traveled because they were kind of on the upswing. And then send SMU to the, to the Gator to play, you know, maybe not Indiana, but, but a team from the ACC or something. And then, then you give group of five guys, you know, better chances. Uh, and you have more intriguing matchups. That's just my thing. I, I just don't totally you know, agree. Watching Western Kentucky and Western Michigan. Uh, does nothing for me. I'll watch it because yeah. it's football. But I'd rather see that than see Mississippi State in Nashville, Louisville in Nashville yet again in the Music right. City. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to go back to your uh, – let's go in the Mike and JC time machine in that era, Bowl Coalition, Bowl Alliance. If you remember, uh, even in the day and age where six and six teams could not get into a bowl game, we didn't have 41 bowl games. We had half that many, if not less. There was still a lot of politics involved. You know, you and I would be uh, at a game, covering a game, calling a game. You'd see the guys in the, in the tacky uh, jackets who do virtually nothing. And, and they're there. Their boots on the ground, supposedly to find the, the most qualified. To. That's not what it was about. It was about what team is going to get the most fans there. Back then, we didn't have the guaranteed TV money to the point we have it now. So empty seats was a major concern for the bowl games. Mm-hmm. They had they so they would take a team that they knew did not have as good a resume, that had maybe one fewer win and not as good a resume. But it was within the guidelines, within within the parameters, they could take that less deserving team that's going to travel 25,000 fans as opposed to 5,000 fans. And so even back then, it was a flawed system. So many people like to think that they wax poetically about the day and age that they started following college football. I'm sorry. Nothing was better about college football 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. Go ahead and watch a 1968 college football game. The offenses are bland. It's it, it's a boring, predictable play call situation. You had the same. I mean, as much as we've got now, a point to where we have the same six schools competing every year. And you could make the argument it was even worse back then. Uh, most of the games weren't on TV, so you, you, if you, you know, if you weren't there. You weren't going to see it, and we had it was the ridiculous. We, we didn't have one play two or four play. We didn't have play. We had like one play twenty seven because that was the bowl tie in, and then we had a bunch of writers from three different polls vote for it. We had split national champions. We had BYU winning a tie. It's never been better than it is now. It's still flawed, but it's never been. It, the game is more exciting. The athletes are better. The competition is better. The way we determine a national championship is better. 
Uh, more games, virtually every game is on TV. If you're a fan and you're complaining about that, I don't know what your problem is. I mean, do you not want to see your team play? Uh, everything is better. It's just still not, it's still capable of being much better. Now, turning the page, I think we're all in agreement. We're going to see the playoff expanded probably to eight, possibly to six, and never more than eight, I think, in our lifetime, and nor should it be. But I think that is going to happen. And to me, that that does solve some of the issues that we're dealing with now. Also, as you and I have pleaded for now for a couple of years, uh, I think it's time for the group five, start talking to a TV network and get your own playoff. And, and as opposed to having those teams like an FAU, like a UCF one year, um, like a BYU, like a take your pick from the Mountain West, uh, take your pick from the, the Sun Belt, rather than have them just go and play in one of these bowl games in front of 4,700 fans on a cold day where it's gamblers and people like me that just will choose a, a football game over whatever other crap is running on TV, why don't we go ahead and give them their playoff? And now I'm into it. You want to know why? Because those teams are into it. If you ever watch an FCS playoff game, there is no lack of passion, competitive fire. It's got everything you want. It's just not the same quality of athlete. Well, you could certainly have that with Group 5. I think those two things are coming down the pike. And I think that does make everything a little bit better. And I think what you were talking about could make it better. Just give us some fresher matchups, but the bowl games aren't going anywhere and nor should they, if we're going to have 40 postseason matchups, by golly, I'm all in. And we know we're going to watch the playoff, which is going to be the next thing that uh, you and I discuss, which is what happened on the 28th. Yeah. Look, man, if you're in the Camellia bowl or you're the Camellia bowl, which is in um, Montgomery, or you're this bowl game that is going to kick off here in a few hours, um, the Lending Tree Bowl down in beautiful Mobile. Um, or or, or if, if you're one of these bowls, like the Music City Bowl or the Belk Bowl in Charlotte or Nashville, kind of a, a position city that you're not really a huge bowl game, but you got a nice destination, you know, wow. Every couple of years you get, a, you get to host the group of five semifinals. I mean, those fans for the group of five schools will travel for bowl games, but they're going to travel even more for that. I mean, App State going to the New Orleans Bowl versus going to a national semifinal game in Nashville or Charlotte. Think about how many more fans the Mounties, the Happy Appies would be taking because that's a good fan base. You know, uh, Memphis has a good fan base. They showed Mm -hmm. up at the Cotton Bowl. Um, sure did. But you watch that game and you see just how hard it is. <laughs> you know, you got a Penn State team there that was like, well, we, we're not going to, we're not in the playoff yet again. But, you know, Memphis is here and, you know, they're trying to, well, we'll just run up half a hundred on them because they can't stop us and a lot of Whereas if there were a group of five playoff, you and I both know Memphis, Cincinnati, uh, FAU, possibly App State, you put those four teams in a playoff, my God. You know, that would have been awesome. Now, Cincinnati yep. and Memphis may have played for the third time this year, but 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 it's still it, – it's good football. And, and you know, like I mentioned the Boca Bowl, SMU and FAU, I thought that would have been a perfect group of five playoff game, you know, even though SMU sort of, uh, you know, laid an egg. So I, I think I think that's, that's right. I think that's coming. I think having an eight-team power five and a four-team group of five is perfect. That gives you a bunch of meaningful bowl games. And include the bowls, man, because, you know, these games are 
important and all that. And, and, and you know, then maybe you loosen up the tie-ins and you kind of have a free-for-all otherwise. I don't know. But I, I, think, I think doing those things alone, Mike, would help get us better matchups and, yeah. and, and improve the product. I'm all for improving the product. I don't want to see it go away. Uh, agreed. And I, I try not to, if you noticed, I didn't bring up any logistics or details. I mean, it's, it's been mentioned a, a million times first round and an 18 playoff could be on home sites. I have no problem with that. Could implement more bowl games. I have no problem with that. The reason I don't mention stuff like that, because I remember what, what it was like for 20 years, uh, suffering through the BCS. I had for, for part of that time hosting a talk show with someone who was anti-playoff and trying to justify the fact that uh, you, 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 you can never make it work. So I don't like getting bogged down in the details mm-hmm. because, because it allows the few people left. Uh, and I shouldn't say few. Like there's a lot of people that continually are on Twitter and saying four is the answer. And if you think we need more than that, then, then look at this. And, and that's fine. I'm not saying you're an idiot. If you, if you want four over eight, I'm saying you're an idiot if you thought the BCS was a good thing. <laughs> but I'm not saying you're an idiot if you want four over eight. Reasonable people can disagree with that with that premise. I'm I'm totally good with that. Um, however, I I don't want to give people an excuse to not move forward and continue to improve this where they just say, oh well, the logistics. I you, you can't. Smarter people than us can figure it out. They figured out how to do a four-team playoff when everybody said that logistically it'd be impossible. There's nothing impossible about it. I don't like the gap between the semis and the title game this year. No, I that's, hate it. I, I, I think everybody hates it, but that's you know that's a product of television and, and the calendar this year and everything else. I don't think it's going to be this big a gap next year, but that's the way it worked out this year. Um, so that's my whole take on that. Now that we're, we're talking about the structure of it and everything else, let, let's get into the, the nitty-gritty. And no, it seems like an eternity ago, but we had two semifinal games. Um, LSU trounces Oklahoma. There's not much to be said here to me other than, A, we already knew LSU was outstanding, um, and they lived up to it. Joe Burrow is putting together the best season a college football quarterback ever has, 55 passing touchdowns with that schedule. Uh, he's got a chance to break the all-time completion percentage record with that schedule, and they don't just dink and dunk. That kid throws it down the field, folks. Uh, it, 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 I'm not giving you a newsflash. LSU is that good. Okay, Oklahoma. It's easy to pile on Oklahoma. Look, this to me, the bigger picture is the Big 12. The Big 12 is the same as Oklahoma, which is 0-4 now in the playoff. There's really not that big a difference between the Big 12 and the Pac-12 when you when you look at it because the Pac-12 is barely there and the Big 12 never wins the playoff. So both those leagues, to me, and we've talked about this a number of times, and I don't want to belabor the point, they're in some hurt, okay? The fact that Oklahoma's been your only team to get there, and most of the times they get there, they get p- pummeled, that's a problem if you're the Big 12. You need to start looking at your conference and figuring out what the heck is what. Pac-12, you barely get there. We've just, we've discussed that ad nauseum. Uh, Larry Scott's got a job to do, and I'm going to let him do it. So uh, the, we all thought LSU was going to win this game easily. We all thought all along that there were three teams that were clearly above the pack. By the way, if we had the BCS, Clemson would be sitting home and watching. That same Clemson team you saw beat Ohio State, that same te- Clemson team with the 
number one pick in the draft next year in Trevor Lawrence, yeah, they wouldn't have been eligible to defend their national championship after an undefeated season because the computer would have spit out two teams, LSU and Ohio State, and the John Saunders of the world would have said, well, one will play two, so therefore they got it right. No. Okay, so thankfully we don't have that system anymore. But we had three dominating teams, and Clemson, Ohio State, i got to tell you a quick story. I'm not going to say who he is because I, I like the guy, but I, I'm on a few talk shows as you are, JC, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And one of the hosts said, Mike, don't you think Clemson's going to beat the crap out of Ohio State because Ohio State's your typical Big Ten slow school? Huh. And, I, and I was just like, um, let me break this down for you. Chase Young is not slow. He's the most dominating defensive lineman in the country because he's pretty quick. Uh, Dobbins, your running back, not slow. Quarterback, not slow. Receivers, not slow. First-round defensive backs, not slow. Do I need to continue? Mm-mm. It's the same argument a year ago when people say, well, Clemson's from the ACC, and the ACC sucks. They don't got a chance to beat Alabama. And they blew the doors off Nick Saban and Alabama. You can't judge Ohio State and Clemson with the rest of their league. First of all, the Big Ten doesn't have to apologize to anybody. Secondly, Urban Meyer left an absolute juggernaut. in rec- And that man is a recruiting savant. Look at the rosters that he had. Ryan Day might be the, a great coach, but boy, did he get something on a silver platter when he took that job over. And Clemson, clearly, both these teams, if they were in the SEC, for those of you that think uh, Mike and JC are a couple of SEC homers, I'm going to tell you right now, Clemson and Ohio State on any given year, if they were in the Southeastern Conference, could win it. Okay, They don't have to take a back seat to anybody. They don't have to apologize for their conferences. And certainly the whole, the old stereotype of, well, they got a bunch of thick ankles in the Big Ten, that might be true of like 70% of the league, but it ain't true about Ohio State. Mm. And if you watch Minnesota in their bowl game, Maybe they're not that slow either. So they're not. Uh, yeah, they're yeah, not. That, that's that's a look. I, and there are some teams that are slower when they match up against a Clemson or an LSU. Um, Notre Dame, I thought, looked a step slow last year against Clemson in the semis. That's just how it is. Uh, Michigan at times looks a step slow. I think there are certain Ohio State teams, like the one that got blanked by Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl in 2016. They did look a step slow, but they also had a quarterback that couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. In JT Barrett, um, and I, I, the, there's nothing like there are guys that can run in the state of Ohio. They may not have track times like a guy from South Florida because it's 40 degrees when track season starts in Ohio, whereas it's 80 in January and you're out there running all the time. But the, these teams are not slow. I mean, now look, Illinois, yeah, they, they they're not a fast football team. You know, and, and, and there are some slower teams uh, in the Big Ten compared to the SEC, but that's not talking about the top. So, yeah, I didn't think for a minute Clemson was going to blow them out. In fact, I think Clemson played a really, really good football game and played probably as well as they have all year, even though they didn't have a big, you know, large margin of victory, to, to, ver- to toughly win that game. I mean – they gritted it out. They didn't. They didn't get off to a great start. Sometimes teams that blow everybody out, they don't get off to a great start. They don't know how to handle it. Well, Clemson did, um, and you know, regardless of that call, which I, you know, I, I'm not going to give my opinion on it because everybody out there knows I, I own a South Carolina website. And I don't want to sound like 
you know, I'm like pointing fingers at Clemson and saying they're not deserving to win the game or anything. It was a bad call. I don't know how on earth they did not reverse it. But even despite that, that was early enough in the game to where Clemson still had to dig deep. Clemson still had to stop them. Nobody stopped Ohio State all year. And Clemson still had to play that, you know, a very good football game, especially on defense. And, and you look at this defense from last year, Mike, the, the national championship team from last year. Look at how much talent they lost up front. Brent Venables, who's one of the best coordinators in the country, you know, he doesn't have the D-line coming back. He's got a good group on the back seven. And so what he does is he just goes to a three-man front. They're playing a different scheme than they did last year, and it's very, very effective. And here we go. Clemson's back in the national championship game. So I think that uh, hats off to them. It was a thrilling football game. I feel bad for Ohio State because – you know, they they were a good team and, and, and were very deserving. But, you know, somebody had to lose it, and we knew that was going to happen. And, you know, it was Clemson. So we will see kind of what happens moving forward. And, and this just in, Trevor Lawrence can run. Uh, yeah. I, think a, I think a lot of people typecast Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow, and you can draw your own conclusions why, as if they're not real fast, they're not real athletic, they're mm-hmm. pocket passers. Um that's a major statement of ignorance, yeah. and I heard it several times before those games. Wow. Several times before from, from people that have a, a national forum on television and radio, okay? Not from Joe Blow. I, I mean from people that have a national forum that sit there and tell you who they think is playing, the what the future of quarterbacking is in football. Uh, those guys are very athletic, <laughs> quite mobile, make a ton of plays out of the pocket. And if you notice, when Trevor Lawrence was making those runs, he was outrunning people in the back seven. Mm-hmm. Okay, He's not a slow guy. No, he's, he's a, a big, tall, long strider. He was in high school. He just he doesn't look as good as Justin Fields or Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson running the football, but he can yep. run. And you've got, you've got to be mobile these days. I think first and foremost you have to be able to throw the football. And that's the thing about Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson, you know, some of these very dynamic runners. People forget these guys can throw the football. You know, right. Lamar Jackson can pass. You know, right. he could at Louisville, and he's doing even better with the Ravens. Um, so can Justin Fields. They can throw it on a dime. So you have to be able to throw the ball, but you can't be a statue in the pocket. And the more mobile you are, the combined with having a big arm, the better you are. There's really and in recruiting, Mike, we put labels on guys. We go dual threat quarterback rankings, pro style quarterback rankings. We really should like go back and okay. So if you can't throw, you're classified as an athlete because you probably aren't going to be a quarterback. Um, because really, the dual there's no difference between those guys unless you're in certain schemes like an option or a wishbone. You know, there's not a Pat White scenario out there. Uh, anymore because most of these guys have to be able to throw it and run it and it's because of the rpos and everything else so i i'm with you there trevor lawrence can run here's here's the here's the uh but you know what joe burrow can run too a little bit and jake Fromm yeah. can run and and yeah. all these top guys Tua could run i mean all these guys we talk about can run um and and that's kind of just where the game is at right now but just because trevor lawrence is you know he doesn't look as as graceful doing it uh doesn't mean it's not effective yeah not at all uh he was and i thought when he took that shot uh to the helmet and and i I mean i thought for sure like that's going to be concussion protocol that's going to be a problem he said himself like that fired him up they they tried to rattle him a little bit 
they tried to rough him up a little bit, and that that turned it on for him. But again, very quality Ohio State team. That was the matchup that lived up to the hype. That was the one I've been excited about going into that game, and I did not come out disappointed. I wasn't expect expecting much out of LSU Oklahoma, and that's what I, exactly what I got. That game was over at the half. So the two semifinals lived up to the uh, the billing, if you will, and then we'll get into the championship game later. I do want to do something. Uh, we mentioned all the other bowl games, so let's. It gives us an excuse to talk about. It. So here's what we're going to do, JC. I'm going to have you go one by one, starting on December 20th. Let's just say with the Bahamas Bowl. All right. And you say the score. We have no more than 10 seconds to give an opinion. And if we don't have an opinion. We don't have to give an opinion. No I just say opinion. no say, opinion. I this pass. is not a hot take show where you have to give disingenuous takes. Uh, and, 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 and we don't believe in that crap. Uh, <laughs> so just we're just going to go over quick hitters on each bowl game. You got no more than ten seconds. So I'll let you lead the way here. All right, the aforementioned Bahamas Bowl, Buffalo thirty-one, Charlotte nine. I thought Charlotte would play a little better in this one, but Buffalo—they've been pretty good for a while. They had more talent. Uh, and one going away. Story for me is Charlotte. I actually did a game there years and years ago. I think it was the first year of their brand-new stadium. The fact that they even have football there, that it took so long to get there. I know they lost the game. They did not play well, but it's a good story, just the fact that they got to a bowl game. In the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl, Kent State, the alma mater of one Louis Leo Holtz and Nicholas Saban, and uh, Gary Pinkle, I think. No, no, yes, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I think Gary Pinkle was, was from Kent, too. Anyway, Kent State 51, Utah State 41. Was stunned how bad Utah State's defense was. They been pretty solid this year. Hats off to the Golden Flashes. Did you mention Nick Saban with Kent State? I did State? mention Nick Saban. Okay, good, yeah. Um, I'll just say good for the Mac on this one. I don't have too much of a, a take on either program uh, other than uh, good for the Golden Flashes and a high-scoring affair. In the New Mexico Bowl, which is um, a bowl that I think needs a little more love, I think I think we need some Power 5 teams to go to the land of enchantment. San Diego State, the Aztecs, 48. Jim McElwain and his Central Michigan Chippewas. 11. Uh, this didn't surprise me. I think San Diego State's a very good group of five team. That's a team that also could get in the playoff hunt. We we always mentioned the kind of the Eastern teams and the teams for the American and Sun Belt and all that. But I think I think out West, you look at the Mountain West with Boise and San Diego State, those would be group of play, group of five playoff teams as well. I'm going to be in Auburn this Wednesday to call a basketball game with Bruce Pearl's Auburn Tigers. They are one of two undefeated teams in America. The other one, San Diego State. San Diego State's got a nice athletic program. They've been good in baseball in the past. Basketball's been good. And football, as you mentioned, one of the better Group 5 stories out there. So years from now in the Mike and JC Group 5 playoff, we'll see plenty more of San Diego State. San Diego State, one of two teams in the group of five that's in a pro market that does not have NFL. So think about that. There you go. I think the, uh, the other one's the other one it escapes me, but I, it's a team that's pretty doggone good. All right. The Mortgage Cure Bowl. Hats off to Hugh Freeze. The Liberty Flames 23, Georgia Southern, and their triple option attack 16. I would just say this. Uh, I knew the former athletic director at Liberty – uh, kind of got thought he got a raw deal getting fired, but but Liberty thought uh, they have a very high opinion on themselves. They have a lot of money, 
It's a Christian school. They actually thought they were going to get in the Big 12 Conference, I think, at one point. That obviously didn't happen, but but kudos to them. They, they decided they wanted to be FBS. They got there, and now they can say they've got a Cure Bowl trophy in the cabinet. Right. Okay. Back, all right. Memphis and UCF are the other – you know, Division One football programs in pro markets that don't have football. So UCF, obviously, uh, that's a big one. Uh, the Boca Raton Bowl, I just want to say I was very disappointed in SMU. We've talked about yeah. it a lot this year. Uh, I, I thought with FAU, with the Lane Kiffin departure, I, I didn't know that FAU would come up and bite him. Of course, it was on their home field. But to me, it looked like SMU was just kind of there and enjoying the fun and sun. Yeah, for me because I uh... – I grew up 10 miles from that stadium, um, which wasn't even a stadium when I lived there as a kid. But <laughs> the uh, the Sid Farkas Bowl, the, the uh, Jack Klompas pen that writes upside down bowl, uh, the Del Boca Vista Bowl, insert your jokes here. It still amazes me that there's a bowl game in Boca Raton, Florida. But congratulations to FAU. What it shows is uh, FAU, if they just take the leftover recruits in the state of Florida – I'm not trying to take away anything from Wayne Kiffin and what he did there, but FAU should be a juggernaut in Conference USA, and they should be going to bowl games every year because there are 41 of them. So go Owls, hoot hoot. Their rivals, the FIU Panthers, who, by the way, beat Miami this year, and we're going to talk talk about Miami soon. I uh, went to the Camellia Bowl in Montgomery. Arkansas State beat them 34-26. Good to see two things here. One, number one, Butch Davis getting FIU to a bowl. You know, Butch Davis is a pretty good coach. Uh, and then Blake Anderson, of course, with the tragic loss of his wife this year. Mm-hmm. Good to see the Red Wolves go out on top. You know, it was a very emotional game. I have a lot of respect for Blake Anderson as a coach and as a person. Um, so it was good to see them get that win over FIU. Uh, agree with everything you said, and if you would have told me years ago FIU and FAU would be playing in bowl games in the same year, I would have said you're insane, but that is the day and age we live in. Washington in the Las Vegas Bowl, which is my favorite bowl, um, and I know you've called this bowl game before, Mike. love calling this game. It's about to move into what I'm now referring to as the Death Star. They're building that new Raiders stadium out there, and it's like black and like space age and but this bowl game is going to continue to kind of grow. Um, Chris Peterson, uh, Washington Huskies, 38. His former school, Boise State, 7. You know, this did not surprise me. It's a typical Chris Peterson type of deal where they go out and they just outcoached everybody. Uh, and good to see him go out for now with a win with the Huskies. Uh, agreed and agreed. I, I still – it's amazing to me that Chris Peterson is just stepping down. Some people say just flat – burnout type situation uh similar to what urban meyer had a few years ago i think he's an an excellent coach that did a really good job putting boise on the map uh, some might argue that the, they were on the map beforehand but i thought he took him to another level and then i thought he, you know he took washington to a playoff they were clearly outclassed once they got there but i think he's a good coach and um i wonder if he'll be back i wonder if a year or two from now we're talking about the return of him, much like we talk, talked about the return of Urban Meyer and some other coaches who have left due to quote-unquote burnout. And down in the New Orleans Bowl, which if you ever watch the New Orleans Bowl, most most time they have like a Louisiana or a Tulane or somebody that's kind of, man, they kind of getting the the fans kind of sit close to the field in the domes. It's pretty good. App State rallies, um, speaking of a team that lost their coach, uh, rallied to beat, you know, Bill Clark and UAB. 
you know, I, I felt like App State, well, they were about a 17-and-a-half-point favorite. I thought they'd win but probably wouldn't cover because UAB is a tough team. Uh, Bill Clark's really done a nice job there. But that that, that was, a, 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 I guess, a cap to a nice year for the Happy Appies. Yeah, it was. And I'm with you on Bill Clark. I, I think he's a great coach. And I love the fact that UAB, what they've been through, they, they were without football for a couple years. There's a little bit of a political power play in the state of Alabama, if you know about that story. Um, now, they're, they're, they're getting a new stadium, right? God knows Legion Field, it, um, that, that thing is a relic. Uh, and App State, you know, a lot of people thought that was a controversial move within their own fan base. Because you move from a program that's kind of like a – you know, in North Dakota State, and every year you're in the in the the talk for winning a national championship at the FCS level, and then you go to FBS, and people think, well, you're just going to be a sacrificial lamb. Well, they've been nobody's sacrificial lamb. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are a legit player again because of the system. You're never going to make the playoff, uh, but they're they are a power in the Group Five, and when we have that Group Five playoff. App State will reap the benefits of that. So congratulations to the Mountaineers. Yeah, one thing to watch here. They're going on next year. They'll have their third coach in three years. Yeah. And Eli Drinkwitz left. Uh, they promoted Sean Clark, who's a good guy and a good coach. Uh, but Scott Satterfield, as the Scott Satterfield era leaves, it's going to be interesting to kind of see, you know, what uh, if they can maintain it. Not, you know, like I said, I'm not going to write Clark off. I think that it's good. The Gasparilla Bowl now, folks, this, like the Las Vegas Bowl, is going to be an SEC Bowl tie-in bowl. Uh, They kick Shreveport to the curb. This game is played, uh, I think, in Tampa now. And UCF went right down I-4. Marshall did some things early. Then the the, the Knights uh, blew them out 48-25. Look, I I hear people talk about Josh Heupel, um, and, and Josh Heupel needs to be a guy that gets a job somewhere, all this other stuff. Let's wait and see on this. Because, mm-hmm. you know, th- this is a guy, and yes, he's won. This is his second year there. He's won big. Um, but he didn't do what Scott Frost did. And, you know, let's kind of see how it happened. I, I happen to think you can win at UCF consistently no matter who you are. I think it's a good job. And I think now with their success and their stadium, it's going to be good. But but I, I'm curious to kind of see Josh Heupel and what he ultimately does I may change my tune in a couple of years, but right now I'm still kind of waiting and see as to whether or not that's a guy that you want to go all in on for a big-time job. Yeah, I mean, for me, this was the year that UCF kind of came down to earth a little bit. You know, it was a cute story, national champions a couple of years ago and a lot of big wins and the winning streak and everything else. And finally, not granted, they didn't have their, their quarterback this year. Um, but, but things finally came they, – they got humbled a little bit. Not to say that UCF is still uh, not still a, a very good program, and I wish they would have gotten into the Big 12, and uh, I've, I've talked about that a number of times. But uh, it looks like they're in limbo in Group 5, and when we have the Group 5 playoff, something tells me UCF will be playing in the title game quite a bit. Hawaii Bowl Christmas Eve. Hats off to Nick Rolovich. I think I'm saying that right. And the Rainbow Warriors, I think they're just the Warriors now. Don't get mad at me, PC Police, if I'm saying that wrong. Beat BYU, interesting year for BYU. Beat Southern Cal, won at Tennessee. Other than that, kind of mediocre. I think they keep their coach again. But Hawaii had kind of, a, I guess, an interesting resurgent year and won their own bowl game. So hats off to the my only my, my only thought on this is uh, I've I've had a chance to call a half a dozen to I don't know seven eight different bowl games over the years on on radio and TV. I hope one day 
somebody above says, Mike, we need you to work the Honolulu Bowl, excuse me, the Hawaii Bowl in Honolulu on Christmas Eve, and I will gladly say I will be there, and I will forgo extra time with the family for some extra time in Hawaii. And we will be doing the J.C. and Morgan podcast live. Yes, exactly. Let's just make it the J.C. and Morgan podcast bowl. How about that? Oh, I like that. We'll be the hey, title I mean, sponsor, you know. Why not? I mean, we will. Pullin', Pullin' Weed Eater had a great run back in the day. Mike and J.C. podcast bowl will be the, you know, we'll find a power tool to help sponsor us, and we'll, we'll get that going. <laughs> All right, so the most of the, so in the embarrassment bowl in Shreveport, um, and look, I don't want to. I don't want to harp too much on the negative with Miami, but I'm going to say this: if there is a coach this year that I was most disappointed in from game one till the end, it was Manny Diaz. Yeah, I mean, they played Florida pretty well despite not having an offensive line that night. That was a good game. You know, they looked like they were ready to compete, and then, you know, the wind just goes out of the sails. Skip Holtz. I think Skip Holtz is a guy people start to need to look at for bigger jobs now i mean he's been winning at louisiana tech uh la tech 14 miami nothing just an embarrassing situation for the hurricanes uh overall but but a great win for skip holtz and, and louisiana tech you know i've gotten to know skip quite well over the years i used to have him on my show when he was the offensive coordinator uh, under lou at south carolina uh he, he goes to east carolina has success there what really derailed skip holtz you know, if we were doing a 30 for 30 on Skip, when he took the job at USF, a lot of people thought that's a, that, that can't fail. Skip Holtz at USF with Tampa and the, the recruiting base, and that's going to be a goldmine. And if for whatever reason, it just didn't work. And it's as, it's as if that Skip has had to pay the burden of that in terms of lack of opportunities ever since. He's done good work at La Tech. It's not an easy place to win. He hasn't done as good a work as he's going to need to to get another what I would consider premier job. Mm-hmm. I think he's got to start winning Conference USA. He can't just go to bowl games. He's got to start winning that conference if he's going to get phone calls to a, a Power Five job that's you know that you can win at. That's my my take on Skip. In terms of Miami, you know, I was down there uh, with family. I say down there, down South Florida. I rarely go to the 305. I'm more of a 561 guy. It's more my speed. Uh, but I will tell you this: the, the Miami, it, it's so toxic down there. You know, for years and years, they wanted to, to blame this coach and that coach, and they thought Mark Rick would be the savior, and that didn't work out. And now it's well, clearly Dan Enos was the problem, so let's fire him right away. And I don't know. I mean, I think it's a cultural problem that goes beyond the coaching hires that they've had. I'm not saying they're great coaching hires. I'm just telling you that there's they got to really take a look within and realize you're not the you anymore. I mean, they're down 14 nothing at one point. Miami gets a turnover, and this knucklehead, you know, he's sitting there and he's prancing and dancing and he's getting a 305 dirt gold turnover chain. What what? Yeah. Here's what what you guys still suck and you're down 14 nothing to La Tech. You might want to dial back the celebration a little bit. At some point, stop living in the past. You're not the you, okay? Luther Campbell's not walking through that door. But more importantly, talented quarterbacks haven't been walking through that door. And you need to kind of hit the reset button, I think, on what Miami football is. I think too often these coaches are trying to recreate what was under Jimmy Johnson and Erickson, 
I don't think those days are coming back anytime soon. Well, you know what? The reason that all that off-the-field stuff that doesn't matter, you know, was fun and happened was because they played a fun brand of football. Okay, in the 1980s, this was a fun brand of offensive football. They'd throw it down the field. They'd run it. It was pro style, but it was kind of creative. You know, Dennis Erickson, all those guys. You can't do that anymore, you know, because that's not fun. So the only fun thing is the, you know, oh, we're, we're the you. Well, no, you're not. What's going to bring the you back is to have a, a fun brand of football. Not all the other crap, football. You know, because that's when the fan, that's what the fans will see is winning football. Um, Rhett Lashley, if you're out there listening, hopefully you listen to this podcast. You're the new offensive coordinator out there. You're the next one in line to run and a dynamic offense that doesn't look like something that's stuck out of the 1980s. You know, Dan Enos was the wrong hire. He was the, you know, the Alabama's OC, you know, or Alabama's quarterback's coach, pro-style concepts. You can't do that. And these defensive guys that get these head coaching jobs that think they can do that are dead wrong. So, Rhett Lashley, you work for Gus Malzahn, you called plays at Auburn, then you worked for Sonny Dykes this year, and you threw it all over the field and had a great offense at SMU. Go do that at Miami, and then let's see. And then let's get the turnover chain out. And then let's start doing the fun, because at that point, football's fun again. Football right. hadn't been fun down there for a while, it, and that loss to Louisiana Tech hit the nail on the head. It might be a lot more fun if they could find a quarterback that can actually throw the ball. Yes. I, I mean, good Lord, the quarterback play at Miami has been atrocious. How do you not get NFL guys to play quarterback at the U? How do you not find a kid? I mean, they used to get guys all over the country. Granted, they recruited South Florida, and that was 90% of their roster. But when it came to recruiting quarterbacks, they'd get them all over the place. And they haven't had a quarterback worth a darn in a while. Well, here's the good news, too, though. I mean, like, you're not going to – now that you've got this offense, if Rhett Lashley does what I think he can do, you're not going to pass on Lamar Jackson if you're Miami. You know, a, a quote-unquote running quarterback. And you have a lot of guys like that in South Florida every year. But we, we can do a whole episode on the U, Mike. I got to get to this. Um, I'm going to start a new category of program. It's going to be called Play Well or They're Going to Cut You. And um, I think Eastern Michigan is that. They lost the quick lane bowl in Detroit to Pittsburgh 34-30. But, boy, they had pit on the ropes. I've seen Eastern Michigan do this the last few years. Yeah, they beat Illinois this year at Illinois. Um, they're not great. They're not championship caliber. But if you don't play well, they're going to cut you. Are we Are we going straight to – I'm sorry. We're on the quick lane bowl. Oh yeah. yeah, I just, I just, I left we, Miami and went. To you the left quick Miami lane. In, a, in a trail of dust, which is what a lot of Miami fans would like to do at this yeah. point. Uh, Miami's like not. They, they're like you, you. You don't even have to play well, and you can beat them. You know, but yeah, yeah, Eastern yeah. Michigan is like play well, or they're going to cut you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Pittsburgh. I don't know. P- Pittsburgh to me is just the ultimate anomaly. I've got a good buddy of mine is an alum and he, he hearkens back to the days of Marino and May and Hugh Green and Tony Dorsett and I just don't know if they're ever gonna get back to that. You know, they're just a they every now and then they sneak up on you and they, they beat somebody good and you say, Wow, they're pits pits back but I, I just think Pitt is never gonna be the juggernaut that it once was and that's sad for some folks of out of the Allegheny area. Yeah, and I think I think in the ACC Coastal they have a chance. I mean, and I love Pat Narduzzi, but you know, until somebody grabs the bull by the horns in that division, who knows? Speaking of that division, going to roll on down to the Military Bowl, 
And North Carolina, like we talk about bowl games sometimes, like who's excited to be there? Okay, so North Carolina's playing Temple. Temple is another team like Eastern Michigan. Play well or they're going to cut you. Temple will cut you. North Carolina 55, Temple 13. I think this is a big boost for the Tar Heels getting to a bowl this year under Mac Brown first year. Recruiting's going well. You know, you can kind of start to see it turn right now. And uh, as, as much as people care or don't care about the military bowl, North Carolina winning this big and showing off like that gives them huge momentum in the offseason. They beat South Carolina in the opener. They nearly beat Clemson. Came as close as anybody to beating Clemson in the regular season. Uh, all in all, I think people that were questioning the Mac Brown hire now need to go back and say, yep, that's a good hire, good fit. Michigan – now, this is another one of my favorite bowls that I would love to cover, the Pinstripe Bowl. Michigan State 27, <laughs> Wake 21. One thing about Wake's offense this year, Mike, that, that I've noticed, I've been a big fan of their OC, Warren Ruggiero. I think it's really creative. But sometimes when they play teams with better talent, when those teams would have just shut down. Um, and Michigan State shut them down for the whole second half, ended up winning 27-21. I think next year Mark D'Antonio has to get back to contending for the division or, you know, we may see some restless moments uh, in East Lansing. Yeah, my take on this game squares solely on Michigan State and and what are you right now? Uh, Are you going to be the feel-good story that they were when they were competing for Big Ten championships and doing so under a a climate in that conference where – you don't have the facilities and the and the fan base at Michigan and Ohio State do and Penn State, but yet D'Antonio was a classic overachiever, I think, in most people's minds. Now, the talk all year has been hot seat, and the talk next year, as you mentioned, will be hot seat. It's amazing how quickly that fall from grace happened. Texas Bowl. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, he's starting to win games like this. You know, you think about, like, his last the, – the 20 – 14 Florida State team in Jameis Winston's junior year where they ended up getting waxed in the semis against Oregon, but they kind of held on by the skin of their teeth a couple of games. I've noticed A&M winning games like this sometimes. And Oklahoma State in the Texas Bowl, old Big 12 matchup, Okie State's fired up to play them. They're up 14 nothing early. Then A&M comes back, settles it down, plays defense, runs the ball, wins 24-21. Uh, for me, again, the story is A&M. Um, I think people jump the gun way too quickly on what A&M is under Jimbo Fisher. And, yeah, they're going to recruit, and they're going to get players. And we know they got money and they got facilities. But are they going to be in the caliber of LSU, Auburn, Alabama anytime soon? I think 2020 is a huge year for Jimbo and company. Yeah, Kellen Mond's back. Tua's gone. Joe Burrow's gone. Uh, Bo Nix is back at Auburn, but Auburn loses a lot off its defense. You, you can kind of see that 2020, that's an opening for the Aggies. Another disappointment bowl, uh, the Holiday <laughs> Bowl in San Diego. Southern Cal, USC, goes down to Iowa 49-24. Clay Helton, man, you know, the, the administration gives you a huge boost of confidence. They keep you. you, you you're, they get behind you. They rally behind you. You're right there. You know, an hour or two from your campus, and you get waxed. It wasn't even close. Now, Iowa's a pretty good football team. They have been all year. But losing like this in the state of California, in the Holiday Bowl, if you're the Trojans, that's that's another unacceptable thing, in my opinion. It is, and I'm not going to say it's the same situation as Miami, but I will say this. 
I refuse to believe it's all on Clay Helton, right? I mean, in other words, they haven't been Southern Cal since Pete Carroll left. Right. And, and, and that tells me there's a little cultural situation going on at Southern Cal, too. You know, or maybe you just kind of you go there and you feel like we're Southern Cal and you there, there's just something that's off. And I don't think firing Clay Helton alone is going to fix that. Uh, I think something I think there's something a little bit deeper there. And maybe it goes to the culture of, of California kids to begin with. And you see a lot of them are bolting and recruiting to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so make of that make of that what you will. But, yeah, obviously a disappointment uh, to cap off a disappointing season. Yeah, and congratulations to the Iowa Hawkeye. Kirk Ferentz went 10-3 and three this year. 10-3. and three. Been a good coach for years and, and probably not talked about enough. Yeah, and then they, they, getting to double-digit wins there, I think, is an accomplishment as well. And, and you know, they, nobody had Iowa up there in their top ten, I think, at the beginning of the year. Okay, oh. more disappointment. Go to the Cheez-It Bowl, which is my fa- – I love Cheez-Its. That's my only thought in this game is I love Cheez-Its. Air Force 31, Washington State 21. Washington State had a very promising beginning, and then the wheels kind of came off for Mike Leach and company. Uh, Has the luster come off for Mike Leach, period? You, you don't hear a lot of schools. You didn't hear as many schools clamoring to get Mike Leach this year. Yeah, he signed an extension. You know, I think Arkansas was the one he was in the mix for. And, I, you know, I – I think a lot of that stuff hurts him when he's brought up for every open SEC job. I also think that, you know, last year when they lost the Apple Cup, you know, they were going to, they were, they were in the playoff hunt, Mike, and they lost to the Huskies again. They lost to him again this year. You know, that in state rivalry is a big rivalry. You know, it's Eastern Washington versus Seattle, basically. And, um, you know, I think he's. I think he needs to turn that. He's got an opening now that Chris Peterson's not on the other sideline, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to turn it around and you know get some Apple Cup wins and all that. You know, do I think Washington State's going to fire him? No, but I think that uh, I do. Th- I do agree. I thought this was a disappointing year. Um, I think what did they finish uh, six and seven? Uh, I thought that was disappointing considering how they started. Mm-hmm. All right, moving to semifinal Saturday. We've already talked about the semi, so we'll skip over those. Uh, Penn State 53, Memphis 39. Watched a lot of this game. Penn State kind of looked uninterested. Memphis came out and hit them in the mouth. Lots of Memphis fans down there at the Cotton Bowl. Then Penn State's offense just sort of, you know, threw it into second gear and <laughs> ended up winning it pretty uh, pretty handedly going away. This is an example of how hard it is for a group of five teams, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. It's also an example of if you were to somehow be able to measure – happiness per win by a fan base it's pretty low for penn state (laughs) i don't think this did a whole lot to change many people's mind that are not huge james franklin people remember there were a lot of people that were hoping he would leave and then somehow they'd be able to get matt rule who's probably going to take an nfl job here soon um but i don't think this this job did this game did anything to change many of that fan base's overall thought process on their head coach and at some point they need to go ahead and get to the next level before they embrace james franklin and i'm sure james franklin is not feeling great about that either he doesn't feel really loved despite the fact he has won a lot of games there yeah they're in a brutal division on top of that too i mean you got to deal with michigan ohio state michigan state every single year so Mm -hmm. uh that's tough um and here's the so sometimes teams get shots at at big-time programs that 
in kind of lower bowl games. And sometimes those little – I don't want to say little teams, but those non-name teams, non-name brand teams, they'll jump up and bite them. How they don't jump up and bite them, though, is when they fumble and stumble their way around in the first couple drives of the game and you give the big team momentum, so all of a sudden they get excited about being there. That's what happened in the Camping World Bowl in Orlando. Notre Dame 33, Iowa State 9. Um, Iowa State just played sloppy. I, I think the moment against the Irish down there in Orlando was too big for them. That's nothing against the job Matt Campbell's done, but uh, you know, that's why this game turned out like it was. Notre Dame was better, and Iowa State didn't help themselves. This is also why when you're a Matt Campbell, uh, and I'm not second-guessing anything he, he did or didn't do in terms of, of leaving for another job, but your window sometimes when you're at a very difficult job to begin with, which is what Iowa State is, Matt Campbell a year or two ago could name his job in a lot of respects. He was one of the hottest names going, and now you don't hear him as much. And Iowa State got humbled a little bit this year. I still think he's a really good coach, but – uh, now you know why sometimes they tell you strike while the iron's hot and go ahead and bolt while you can. Exactly. Moving on by, by to the, uh, the first responder bowl. I have nothing to say about this game except Tyson Helton in his first year wins a bowl game at Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky Hilltoppers 23, Western Michigan 20. This is another thing I'll say. Willie Taggart, everybody wants to like bow down and praise him. Uh, for winning at Western Kentucky. Well, Tyson Helton's winning there. Mike Sanford won there. Um, Jeff Brom won there. Bobby Petrino won there for one year. So I, I, I think at some point we got to quit talking about the great job Willie Taggart did at WKU because a lot <laughs> of coaches have done well at that job. It's If you know anything about that program in every sport, they're extremely committed. Uh, they they do have a niche in recruiting in that area. They they do take their, their football very seriously. Agreed. Congratulations, Hilltoppers. All right. Here's a guy that I think may be in the SEC at some point coaching or another job in the ACC or maybe not because it's Louisville. But Scott Satterfield, Louisville, I thought one of the best coaching jobs this year, finishes 8-5, and five, took over a complete dumpster fire. They come back. They beat Mississippi State. It was up 14 nothing. In the game, 38-28, Mississippi State fires Joe Moorhead after losing the Music City Bowl. Um, interesting two ships passing in the night, so to speak, uh, in this one. Love Scott Satterfield as you do. Um, I'll be curious to see what he does for an encore. Sometimes you, you get a job like that year one, you change the culture, and, and, and now people expect you to get back to a 10-win type program. That might be easier said than done. Mississippi State. We're going to get into that later on, um, the Joe Moorhead situation. I told you if they lost that game against Ole Miss, he was going to get canned. And they barely win it because a, a freshman for Ole Miss decides to do his impersonation of a dog urinating in the end zone. And so that cost Matt Lucas' job. It gave Joe Moorhead a reprieve, and now Joe Moorhead's fired anyway. I got a lot of thoughts on that, but we'll get to that later. So let's move on to the patented red box bowl. I thought Lovey Smith did a good job just getting Illinois to a bowl game this year. They had some big wins. You know, Cal started off really well. Uh, I thought Cal was too fast for the Illini in this one, 35-20. Justin Wilcox does a good job there. Um, but Lovey Smith is going to hang on with the Illini at least for another year uh, for, by virtue of getting them to this bowl. Would they finish 6-7 and seven then six with the seven. loss? Yeah. 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 Um, 
I'm not waving the fl- the uh, flag of support for Levy just just yet. I think overall they're paying him an insane amount of money, and Illinois just can't can't get out of a rut. But yeah, I mean, look, they won six games. They were a good story. They pulled off a couple upsets, but I'm, I'm still not sure if Levy Smith is going to uh, take that program where that fan base wants to well they played Iowa tough and then you lose at home to a bad Northwestern team by 19 and then get thumped in your bowl game yeah I mean that's mm-hmm. that's got to be some concern in my I mean I'd be very concerned with that mm-hmm. if, if I were an, an Illinois person or whatever but I'm not and you know hey good for them <laughs> uh Florida 36 Florida with the Orange Bowl uh 36 28 Florida's almost the the most quiet eleven and two team in the country yeah, this year, aren't they? They and I mean, they, they won this one like they won a lot of them. You know, you're like, well, they may yep. not win, and then then they pull it right. out. So hats off to to Dan Mullen. Well, I mean, look, what was the talk at the beginning of the year? The most overrated top ten team was who? Florida, Florida right? <laughs> I mean, nobody was buying stock in Florida. Uh, I think the best thing, and I hate to say it this way, the best thing that ever happened to Florida was Felipe Franks losing the job. I hate the fact that he got injured, but I told you all along I was not a big believer in Felipe Franks. Daniel Trask, while he's not the Dan Mullen prototype quarterback, not a great runner, um, but he's what you need because they got enough talent around him on both sides of the ball where if you got a kid that's got some leadership abilities uh, and doesn't make ridiculous mistakes, Florida can win some games. I didn't think they'd win 11. I mean, Dan Mullen's won 21 games in his first two years in Gainesville, if you had any doubt about Dan Mullen, uh, his ability to be a head coach, you, you now have been validated, Dan Mullen. And keep in mind, he was not the first choice nor the second choice for Gator fans. He was the third choice. So I think they that wound up okay. Uh, yeah, I, I do too. And, uh, you know, coming into the year, the reason one of the reasons I wasn't buying Florida was because of Franks, because I thought – their offense, you know, the strength was at receiver. Didn't know that Franks could throw it. I've always thought Trask was a better passer anyway. So, hey, there looks like I was at least right about something as it, as it pertains to the Gators. New Year's Eve, watch this whole game. Eddie Grand from Kentucky, Mike, uh. if you don't try to – if you're a school that doesn't have everything every year, in other words, maybe some years you don't have a QB, maybe you don't have a running back, you need to hire Eddie Grand. Go hire Eddie Grant. Re-rent, my man ran single wing all year with Lynn Bowden. <laughs> and but Virginia Tech couldn't stop it. Kentucky just lined up and blocked him and Bowden ran right through him. Nice little pass there at the end. Um, yeah. Feel bad for Bud Foster there at the you know, at the mm, end of his career yeah. that way. But hats off to Eddie Grant and the Wildcats. Really exciting Belk Bowl. Both fan bases showed up pretty well. Kentucky finishes eight and five. This is a better coaching job by Mark Stoops than I think last year's ten and three. I'm with you. In fact, you could make the argument the last two years how they got 18 wins out of Kentucky football. Um, And look, Terry Wilson's a good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback. The fact that they won 10 games a year ago is still somewhat miraculous. I mean, I realize Benny Snell was a nice story and Josh Allen was a stud on defense. But they lost their entire secondary this year. They lose Allen. They lose Snell. They lose Wilson. Early in the year, I was actually doing that game when he when he got uh, the injury. At that point, you could just feel the the air go out of the stadium. Like there goes our year, mm-hmm. and and they run this high school offense, and everybody on the planet knows that it's going to be Bowden left, Bowden right, Bowden up the middle, and they still don't stop it. Uh, 
Eddie Grand, who somehow was not a finalist for the Browse Award, going to the best assistant coach. I want to reevaluate that, folks. Uh, and Mark Stoops, terrific, terrific job. Herm Edwards in the Arizona State Sun Devils, a good young freshman quarterback. They finish eight and five and polish off the Odell Haggins interim era, winning the Sun Bowl yet again. Uh, you know, Herm Edwards, I think eight and five with a freshman at QB like that. I think that gives them something to build on. Yeah, that freshman quarterback who is could probably put on about thirty pounds and still run very well. As he, they're basically banking on him to be the guy. Jaden Daniels, yeah, he's outstanding. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, he's, he's got a chance to be special. Um, very skinny right now. He looks like a, he looks real young, but, but certainly has the ability. Um, you know, Herm's always good for a good quote after, uh, after a win or two and provided many of those. I don't know if Arizona State is, is on its way to the big time or not, um, but they've got some excitement going on there. And for Florida State, back-to-back losing seasons. Mm. In Tallahassee, that's almost impossible to do. Ah, yeah, and ASU's in the Pac-12 South, which I think is the, the more open of the two divisions. Navy 20, Kansas State 17 in the Liberty Bowl. I thought that was a good win. And it, it polished off a nice season for Navy in the top 25, beat Army 31-7, to and then uh, the win over the, the K-State Wildcats. 11 wins for Navy. They win the Commander-in-Chief trophy for the first time in a while. Uh, Coach Ken can't say enough about him. I finally had a chance to, to do a, a Navy game this year and, and get to know uh, that coaching staff. Just so much respect for the way they run things over there. And, again, you think about it. Their first priority is not to win the American or even a bowl game. It's to win the Commander-in-Chief trophy. The only way you win that is if you hire coaches that know – how to defend the option because that's what army and air force run so you've got to know how to defend the option for your most important games of the year and then when you play in the american you're going up against a bunch of teams that run a spread or open attack and you got to be able to defend that as well that makes it one of the most difficult jobs in america and navy routinely is flirting with 10 wins a year Uh, that's a terrific story almost every year they had one off year last season but other than that they've been fantastic in a battle of two teams that beat SEC teams in their openers, Wyoming beat Georgia State 38-17 in the Arizona Bowl. You know, Wyoming's got a pretty good coach uh, out there. They run their triple option team. Georgia State still is a good story, 7-6 and six, with a win over Tennessee this year. They had a really good season. That's a tough job with a lot of upside. Sean Elliott, the head coach there, uh, a friend of mine, and, and certainly good to see them get to a bowl. Uh, that campus is about 10 miles from my house, and you're right. Georgia State now plays their home games where the Braves used to call home, old Turner Field. Uh, you obviously, you got a great recruiting base in Atlanta, uh, certainly a program that could be on the rise. All right, so the University of Utah got a, got a, a symbol or a, um, a message from the space station that said, the air has gone out of your balloon, sir. <laughs> um, the Alamo Bowl, Texas, Texas needed this. I think once Utah got beat by Oregon, they kind of mailed it in. Texas 38, Utah 10 in the Alamo Bowl. All I can say about this is Texas needs to build on it, and they need to really take a step next year. Well, that's what we said a year ago, right? And that's what Sam Ellinger said. Texas is back. We just beat Georgia. We're back, baby. Hmm. And then they were not back at all. Well, they were back to being pretty mediocre, quite frankly. Next year's a huge season for Texas. Uh, It's a a huge year for – you know, that coaching staff, Tom Herman, was far and away the big name in the college football coaching ranks. Everybody wanted him. 
Texas landed them. And, yeah, they're better than they were under Charlie Strong, but that's not saying a whole lot. They need more than that in Austin. The Gus bus <laughs> rolled into Tampa to meet Row the Boat. I, this, this did not surprise me. I thought Minnesota would be more fired up. We talked about teams going to these same old bowls. I thought Minnesota would be more fired up to be in Tampa playing against Auburn than Auburn would be. Turns out I was right. Gophers 31, Tigers 24. Nothing that Coach Row the Boat does surprises me. Uh, there's a lot of SEC teams that had their chance to get Fleck when he was on the market, and they passed. And I told you, I thought, I thought this is a Bruce Pearl type of guy. He's just a different. He's, there's a different makeup to him, and you can't fake it. Like you know, you can't ask everybody to be like PJ Fleck. And I know he probably gets on people's nerves, and they get tired of it. And he's, you know, it's it's a little bit of. Uh, I know when the camera's on me, but you know what? When you're coaching places that like Minnesota. And uh, was it Western Western Michigan? Western Michigan. Yeah, sometimes I get my directional Michigan schools mixed Me up. Me too. Um, when you when you're when you're getting jobs like that, sometimes you need a little bit of that. Uh, and so now all of a sudden Minnesota G'd him up, and he's not going anywhere at least for the, for the foreseeable future. But I, that's one hell of a job. I mean, that's really that's one of the best coaching jobs in the last twenty years. What he did at Minnesota this season. Yep. Hats off to him. Beat Auburn and Penn State. Uh, Alabama-Michigan, the Citrus Bowl, Mike, it was, I guess, the most-watched bowl game on ABC since 2010 when mm. Bama was also, I think, in the Citrus Bowl or maybe somebody else. But anyway, big big crowd, Jim Harbaugh versus Nick Saban. Pretty easy win for the Tide. I didn't think Michigan really had much of a chance. But, you know, for the health of bowl games, hey, it's pretty good to have this matchup and you know, say what you want. I I personally think Bama should have been in the Sugar Bowl or maybe Auburn. Yeah. But, um, you know, good win for them. And now with Tua going pro, you know, Bama's got to fix its defense and they got to get this off, continue to get the offense back, uh, in my opinion, to stay kind of at the level they are. You never underestimate them. They have plenty of talent. But there is work to be done this offseason um, in Tuscaloosa. And I think the questions around Jim Harbaugh are going to remain. Uh, they are, and they should. Um, as far as Nick Saban goes, look, I don't think Nick Saban forgot how to coach. I do think the turnover we, – we talked about this before. What's the difference between Alabama and Clemson in the last five years, whatever? Dabo kept almost his entire staff, and I finally lost one this year. Um, and, and Nick Saban did not because everybody started plucking away his coordinators. And at some point – it takes its toll. You keep losing half your staff every offseason. I think they lost their way on defense. I think they lost their identity. Um, is, is some of that fall on Nick Saban? Sure it does. But with all that being said, those that want to take the shovel out and bury Alabama and <laughs> say they're done, uh, I'm not with you on there, but I, I, I just I don't see that. I think Alabama could easily have a bounce back year next year, year after that, whatever the case may be. Nick Saban doesn't seem like a guy like a guy to me who's going to say, "Up, oh, yeah, I'm losing it. Time to tuck my tail between my legs and retire." No, not at all. If anything, you know, I mean, and look, it wasn't like they were down this year. They lost two games: 48, 45, 46, 41. They got to get better on defense. This was an atypical Alabama defense. Good news is a lot of their defensive guys are coming back. Dylan Moses uh, is coming back, et cetera. 
So they should be back on that side of the ball. The granddaddy of them all was a classic. Oregon 28, Wisconsin 27. Big win for the Ducks. I think, Mike, this puts the Pac-12 champions uh, and another Rose Bowl championship in Mario Cristobal's, what, second season? Mm -hmm. Um, The way they're recruiting the state of California, I think this is huge for them as far as a springboard. I think the Ducks could end up being back um, for the foreseeable future. I'm with you. Controversial call in that game. I will oh, yeah. say that Oregon got the benefit of the doubt on that one, but it, but they are, they are right now lining up to be the preeminent uh, program in the PAC 12 Georgia Baylor in front of a sparse crowd, in new Orleans. That didn't surprise me. And I don't know why the sugar bowl, like, you know, maybe you trade or something. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you trade Florida to the sugar bowl and you send Georgia to Miami. I don't I, 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 That just didn't make sense to me. 26 to 14 over Baylor. I, I personally thought Baylor probably could, had a good shot to win it. Big year for Matt Rule. We'll see what happens there. You know, I think this was a what I call a stabilizing win for UGA. And now we see what we'll see what happens with their roster. But I think this is a good stabilizing win. Kirby Smart wins the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, you can't use the well, we weren't really that motivated excuse two years in a row. If you're Georgia, they came out ready to play. They played well. They also found their star receiver for the foreseeable future because they had seemingly zero for much of the year. They got a stud now at wide out. Jake Fromm decision will be huge for that program. Um, I, I said earlier that the empty seats, that was Georgia fans making a statement. The statement is this. Georgia now feels like they need to be in the playoff every year or we're not that interested. Um, that's a dangerous outlook. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the fans, I think it sets you up for a lot of disappointment. And for Kirby Smart, it sets you up for, well, you, you've done a lot of good things here, Kirby, but you haven't done enough. I think next year is fascinating when it comes to Georgia football for all the reasons I just mentioned. But make no mistake about it. It's not as if Georgia fans didn't go to New Orleans because they didn't like the city or they can't afford to travel there or anything else. They just stuck their nose up and said, nope. Uh, this is not a game worthy of our time and our dollars. Let, let us know when you're back in the playoff next year. Mm. Birmingham Bowl, I call it the shouldn't have a bowl game there. Luke Fickle at Cincinnati is <laughs> doing a good job. Boston College with an interim coach, 38-6, Bearcats. All I can say is Luke Fickle's a good coach. <laughs> Agreed. Next game. All right, the Gator Bowl. Fat, big crowd for the Vols. I mean, they turned it around. Hats off to Jeremy Pruitt this year. Snap some losing streaks. Uh, finish seven and five. Indiana had them dead in the water, and they rally and win the game 23-22 at Jacksonville. Huge for Tennessee uh, to win this bowl game. Um, Indiana, take nothing away from them. They had a tremendous year. Um, well, this is an example, Mike, of a bowl where both teams, I think, were fired up about being there uh, and winning the game. And don't look now, the Tennessee Volunteers were eight and five. After losing to Georgia State and BYU to open the season, um, we had sort of written their obituary, but, uh, heck, they came back and rallied. It's going to be interesting to see moving forward who the quarterback is. I think of the offensive line and at linebacker, they've got some tremendous young talent. I, I, think, I think we're starting to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel for Tennessee. Yeah, boy, did it change dramatically. I mean, you lose to Georgia State – in the opener, you lose to BYU. You got people trying to bring Phil Fulmer out of retirement and move from the AD to the head coaching spot. And, you know, it's just one big pile of nasty on every Tennessee message board. And now all of a sudden it's, see, we're on our way. See, Jeremy Pruitt was our first choice all the way. 
Tennessee football is back. Very important year next year. A barometer of just where is Tennessee football. And I thought Garantano, I mean, it, it was uh, the ultimate roller coaster ride for him. Uh, but I give that kid credit because there were multiple times I was thinking, this kid's just going to quit on the season and tr- get in the transfer portal and get the hell out of Dodge. But he stuck with it, and uh, Tennessee finished up strong. The famous Idaho Potato Bowl, Ohio, Ohio beats Nevada 30-21. to Only thing I say about this is they dump French fries uh, on Frank Solich as a victory shower. So great to go there. And then finally, the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl at Fort Worth. Tulane, Willie Fritz, Green Wave 30, Southern Miss 13. I think anytime you can go to a bowl and win at Tulane, that's good. People don't really, people don't want to talk about the yesteryears of college football. They forget Tulane back in the day was an SEC member and played right. in an eighty thousand seat stadium yeah. in New Orleans. Not not and so it, much anymore, but you know, seven and, and six is good. Yeah, Sewanee was also in the SEC. Yes, uh, I've and, been to and, that and campus. Yes. Um, you know, Willie Fritz is a name to keep an eye out on. A lot of people that I talk to are uh, incredibly impressed with with his game day coaching. You know, not just winning the press conference and all that stuff, but actual X's and O's. That is a name to look out for. It wasn't that long ago Tulane was running bake sales to try and raise money to keep football. Remember, they almost got rid of football mm-hmm. uh, about a decade ago. So now we're talking about Tulane winning a bowl game. That is a good story. 24 third quarter points for the wave and that's it we got uh Woo! louisiana and miami of ohio tonight down in mobile and then the the grand the, not the granddaddy of all the big daddy one week from tonight i wish it was tonight though i'm, I'm kind of like yeah. eh, do. i don't like this big super bowl style layoff for it but you know none of us do i'd i'd be curious to see if any of the players do because people say well they get extra rest well they're not resting if they're practicing and i don't know if a player in any sport alive that prefers practicing the game action. So uh, I think everybody would like to just get this thing on, yeah. but but not going to do it. And so uh, we got to wait another week. Uh, you and I will be on in another week to kind of recap it. You have any thoughts on the game overall? I, I think it's going to be a tremendous football game. I think, you know, probably if you're looking at it, it's, it's, it's kind of going to be up to both defenses. Can, you know, both of these quarterbacks are very tough to stop. Um, I know Trevor Lawrence has been, Less accurate than Joe Burrow, if you look at the stats. But, you know, you got Travis Etienne in the backfield going into his home state, playing against his home state team. Um, Will LSU have a crowd advantage? Yes. But, folks, Clemson's going to travel. Clemson Clemson played Bama down there in the semis a couple years ago, and Bama was probably 60-40. You know, know, LSU is going to gobble up tickets, but – you know, don't don't think this is just going to be a home game for LSU. So I, I think it's going to come down to both defenses' ability to contain uh, the other quarterback, and I, I, we can get more into it. You know, as we preview it. Well, actually, we, we may not even be on until after the game next week or something. Yeah. Like. But you know, I, 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 right now, I would I, I think it's LSU's got a lot of momentum. I would probably pick them to win, but. It's not going to be like the LSU Georgia game or the LSU Oklahoma no. game where they just rolled. I mean, it's it's going to be a toss up. It's a very good matchup. This is what we need. This is what we needed in college football after kind of a ho hum regular season. Quite frankly, uh, we needed at least one thrilling semi game. We got one, 
and now we could use a thrilling championship game, and I think it will be that. I think this game could very easily go in the 30s, even though there's a lot of talent on both defenses. In college football, when you've got elite talent on offense, you still have the edge. And so I think with those two quarterbacks and the weapons they have around them, I'm looking at a game in the 30s, and I I would give LSU a slight advantage as well, but I think it's going to be a heck of a game. Only other story I just wanted to touch on before we sign off, and I know we've gone long because we just broke down 41 bowl games for crying out tears. but. We are awesome for doing that. Um, Mississippi State fires Joe Moorhead for two years. I'm just going to say this. This is now the new minimum. It used to be five. Then it went to four. Then it went to three. Remember when they fired Ron Zook at Florida after three years? And everybody's like, whoa, three years? You fire a coach in the SEC? And Ron Zook was winning seven. It wasn't like Willie Taggart. Like he was winning seven, eight games, recruiting a lot of talent that Urban Meyer inherited. And, of course, Urban won a national championship a couple of years later with a lot of that talent. Uh, now the new standard, if you're not getting it done at a Power 5 program, Willie Taggart, Chad Morris, Joe Moorhead, no scandals went on in any of these situations. Okay, We didn't have a kid die in practice. We didn't have a recruiting scandal. We didn't have the coach uh, having an affair with a secretary. This was bottom line. This was all about wins and losses, baby. And enough was there to fire these three men. I, I hate to say it, but we're going to see more of this. Now, I know, Joe Moore, there was a lot of t- the discipline, lack thereof. You got your quarterback getting punched by a teammate for the bowl game. Um, but really what this comes down to, it, it, it wasn't enough winning. And Joe Moore had never felt like a cultural fit mm-hmm. in Starkville. Uh, that matters there. You don't have to win 10 games a year there because no one ever does. But if you're not going to win as much as they would like, they would like a guy that seems to be a better fit. I don't think they thought Joe Moorhead was ever that fit. Uh, I was there in November, and I just happened to be having a conversation with the athletic director, and he pointed out something to me. He said, you know, if if, if we beat Ole Miss, we will finish with the same amount of wins in Joe Moorhead's first two years as Dan Mullen did in his first two. In other words, he was pointing out that Joe Moorhead hadn't done that bad a job. I think that there were some powerful people, and you learn this about college football compared to the NFL. There's always that member of the board. There's always that booster that can go ahead and rise to the top of a key situation. And it would not surprise me if something like that happened in Starkville in this particular situation. I don't think Joe Moorhead was a popular choice at the beginning. A disappointing year one, a less than stellar year two. And a lot of people with power said, we want to change in after year two. Now, Willie Taggart almost forced your hand because it was a debacle. Chad Morris almost forced your hand because it was a debacle. Yeah. Joe Moorhead was not a debacle at Mississippi State. But it was bad enough, and it was not a good enough fit, according to many there, where it was, let's go ahead and fire him, even though they are not going to make a splash higher because there's just no splash higher to be made this late in the game. Yeah, I mean, you don't know who they're going to end up going and getting. I, I would not have done it this late. I would have just said, we're in for one more year, and, you know, obviously next year things have to improve on and off the field, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there wasn't anything – I mean, there was obviously the, the report, the fight at practice, quarterback got hurt, you lost the bowl game. Well, who gets fired for losing the Music City Bowl? 
Right. Um, it, it, you know, and, and then there's a question. You you needed to look at that and say, who can we get right now? Now, if, you, if, if, if you get Billy Napier, which there's he's playing in his bowl game tonight, folks. Yeah, Billy Napier is a heck of a hire. He's a night guy that's going to you know come in there and I think do a good job. You Joe Judge, NFL assistant. He's an alum. He's young. Maybe he's the greatest coach in Mississippi State history. Maybe he's out within two more years, and then you're that much further behind. You just don't want – and I think at this late, unless there's a guy out there that you know is going to take it that's a good fit and a good coach, I – man, I just don't – I mean, you know, you're, they're talking about Todd Grantham and Gene Chizik interviewing for this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, whoa, man, you know, that, that, that would give me pause uh, if I were that. But it's going to be interesting, Mike, because you have some programs right now in the SEC – like South Carolina and Vanderbilt, that, you know, you could have made a strong case for South Carolina to make a coaching change this year, and definitely, I think, for Vanderbilt, too. But they stuck with their guys. Mm-hmm. And then you have some other schools like Ole Miss, Matt Luke gone after three, Missouri, Barry Odom gone after four. Um, you know, Mississippi State, Moorhead gone after two, Morris has gone after two. That, that Quite frankly, these were quick triggers. You know, I don't think that Barry Odom going six and six – uh, in a game, in a year where you're on probation, technically through no fault of his own, um, warranted him being fired, considering he had had two pretty good years before, and you're Missouri. And I certainly don't think, you know, it warranted him being replaced by a guy that's coached one year of football uh, yeah. and, and that coached it with a program that somebody else built. You know. You didn't build that program, Eli Drinkwood. Scott Satterfield built that program. It's like like that Mike Leach locker room thing. You didn't catch that ball. Michael Crabtree caught that ball. Expletive, <laughs> expletive, expletive. But no, I mean, so it's. I, I'm I'm curious to look at this and watch this as we move forward because you got you know of, of the non-power programs. You got two schools that have said we're sticking with our guy. You know, we're gonna go. We're gonna go to be like Kentucky and stick it out and recruit and build it. And then you got some other programs that's like, no, we're we're gonna we're gonna cut bait. I don't know what's the answer. I don't know what the answer is and who's gonna end up being right, but it is worth doing. Now now, you know, like Arkansas, I don't think you could have made any other choice. The yeah, rest, like I said, that was debacle territory. The rest were debatable though, man. Really, really debatable about Matt Luke, Joe Moorhead, and Barry Odom, uh, in my opinion, within the league. Uh, I agree. I agree. And 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 when you look at the hires yeah, and none of those hires are knocking anybody's socks off. Um, I know Wayne Kiffin wins the press conference ten times out of ten, but you know that remains to be seen how that's going to work out. And I'll just say, I'll go back to my point a few weeks ago. Every time you line up for a game within your own division in the West, if you are Ole Miss, if you're Mississippi State, if you're Arkansas, the other four teams you got to play every year are going to have more talent than you. Mm-hmm. And you fall recruiting as well as anybody. Nine times out of ten, that's going to be the case, right? Nine times, I would say nine times out of ten. There's yeah. There are years Auburn's talent level maybe dips a little bit or years that A&M's talent level dips a bit. But when those teams aren't, like, winning, you know, it, it, it usually a lot of times isn't even a case of talent. It's usually like there's something wrong or there's injuries or somebody can't coach their way out of a paper bag or something like that. Um, but yeah, you're, 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 you know, and you're, it's always going to be that way. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, 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 Hugh Freeze recruited as better, as good as anybody at Ole Miss, and they never made it to Atlanta. You know, I think, I think Dan Mullen recruited well. People, maybe not with the rankings, 
But when you go get a Dak Prescott and you go get guys like that, you have players that are now on the next level, and you win 10 games and are ranked number one for a couple of weeks, you're recruiting well. And they didn't get to Atlanta, okay? Either one of those Mississippi schools, Mississippi, Mississippi State, are in the East during those years. They're in Atlanta, brother. They're the best yep. team in the Eastern Division by a mile. Yep. So, you know, that, those are tough jobs, and um, we'll see kind of how uh, things go. Tough jobs with, you know, I think I think Mississippi State fans are pretty realistic. I think Ole Miss and Arkansas fans are too at this point. Ole Miss and Arkansas, though, have a little bit of history where they – you know, they kind of have a lot of pride and tradition and things like yeah. that. And yeah. so I can see where they would get impatient. It's going to be interesting. But like I said, um, two years is, is the new, what's that expression? It used to be like uh, 40 is the new 30 or 30 is the new 40. I always screw that yeah. up. Now, two years is the new five years. I mean, we, we are now firing coaches in some cases with winning records after two years. Um I don't know what to make of that, but it's crazy. I mean, it is. It's not. I mean, this would have never been thought of ten years ago, twenty years ago. But now, it's becoming more normal. Two, three years, we're going to go ahead and fire you and bring in a new guy. Um, Something to keep an eye out for. Okay, we are way over time, but that's okay. We had a lot of fun, a lot of things to cover. We're going to be back with you next week where we'll talk about that national championship game and a whole lot of other news. JC, enjoyed it. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to everybody out there. And look forward to bringing you plenty more of this podcast in 2020. For JC, Mike, so long.